Are you searching for that voice of reason in these troubled times? Are you searching for that voice of reason in these troubled times? Do some things just not make sense? We thought so too, and that's exactly how Dave, Richard, and I came together. My name is Kelsey, and the three of us are here to explore and seek the truth, expose corruption, and unravel and untwist media lies and propaganda. We are determined to help navigate through this unparalleled, extraordinary time in history with everyday people emphasizing open-mindedness, free thinking, and a desire to be empowered at the grassroots level, working with what nature has given us and protecting that from those who are exploiting it. Together, with the help of our listeners, we will sow Acres of Truth. You can visit our website at acresoftruth.com, and here you will find more information on how you can find us in places like YouTube, Rumble, Spotify and Apple Music, Twitter, and so much more. Hello, and welcome to our series, Outlining explaining and discussing the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Our goal is to educate everyday citizens about SDGs, what they are, what they mean, how the laws and policies that are and have been passed can and will affect us. Additionally, by learning and understanding these 17 goals, we can all become one step closer in helping to affect change in this world from a grassroots perspective. My name is Kelsey from Saskatoon, and I'm joined by Dave, Richard, and our special guest, Mark, director and founder of the Forum for Canadian Sovereignty. Welcome to SDGs and what you need to know. Greetings, gentlemen. Greetings, Kelsey. It's uh, Dave from Winnipeg, Ag Specialist. Greetings, Kelsey. My name is Richard. I'm a farmer from Southern Saskatchewan. Hi, Kelsey, Dave, and Richard. It's Mark here from Saskatoon director and founder of the Forum for Canadian Sovereignty. Welcome, gentlemen, and I'm Kelsey. I'm a small business owner in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. The format of this series is for us to read the SDG, discuss the targets, and break it down for everyday people to understand. So let's get started with sustainable development goal number three, health. Ensuring healthy lives and promoting well-being at all ages is essential to sustainable development. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to spread human suffering. As of mid-2022, COVID-19 had infected more than 500 million people worldwide. The latest estimates show that global excess deaths, directly and indirectly attributable to COVID-19 could have been as high as 15 million by the end of 2021. The pandemic has severely disrupted essential health services, triggered an increase in the prevalence of anxiety and depression, lowered global life expectancy, derailed progress towards ending HIV, tuberculosis, and malaria, and halted two decades of work towards making health coverage universal. 
As a result, immunization coverage dropped for the first time in 10 years and deaths from TB and malaria increased. Urgent and concerted action is needed to set the world back on a trajectory towards achieving goal three. Mark, we'll get started with you. What are your thoughts here? So I find it interesting for decades, us Canadians would brag to the world about our healthcare system and how wonderful it was. Um, obviously, we have serious issues within our healthcare system, but for us to destroy our nation's health sovereignty by handing it over to an unelected, unaccountable foreign entity that doesn't have our nation's best interest at heart seems extremely counterproductive to a healthy healthcare system. Um, we're talking about the World Health Organization that is a massive global bureaucracy. And we all understand what happens in a bureaucracy. Um, this is a bureaucracy on steroids. There's, there's no way that they're going to service our needs as a nation and as a people within a nation, um, our healthcare needs from, from that perspective. It's, it's actually impossible. So again, in regards to all of this, decentralization, radical decentralization of healthcare down to the lowest common denominator organized by the people in each community is how we're going to most effectively deal with people's health and how we're going to manage the healthcare system. Um, again, if we want to keep a, a system that's within the public purview, and, and not move to more of a, a, a private uh, healthcare system. But this is, this is public on a global scale, and nobody has ever been able to convince me that a massive global bureaucracy to do with healthcare is going to service our needs as a people within this country uh, in terms of our healthcare. It's, it's counterproductive. Now, we, we talk about health, at the end of the day, a lot of these goals that are, make up the 17 goals of sustainable development are counterproductive to health. They're actually, um, and as we mentioned in, in, a, in, a, in the previous discussions, um, one, of, one of the agenda's uh, primary elements is global depopulation or population reduction, as they like to refer to it as. And so we're, we're seeing this move, even within our healthcare system in Canada, because we're taking direction and guidance from this global entity, we're now incorporating euthanasia to our elderly, to our depressed, to our, our mentally uh, ill People and and even just our, it's been hinted toward our poor that if life is too hard because you're living in poverty, here's an easy way out. Like we we've heard this discussion. So uh, in fact, what I'm seeing 
from this agenda and from the World Health Organization is this move to not health care, but almost sick care, almost death care. It, it's this, this move towards, you know, depopulation of the planet. And, in, and literally in these people's mind, that is the answer reducing the earth's population from say 7 billion that we're at now to 1 billion. We've heard them say this. And so when we, when we talk about, you know, and you can incorporate a lot of different things into this discussion, but when we talk about our health, uh, I can, I can tell you that some monstrosity that is a foreign entity global bureaucracy is not going to service our needs in terms of health and and uh, and, and a healthy society it, it, we have to we have to radically decentralize our health care if we're going to serve the people that have paid taxes to ensure that they have health care that's going to represent their interests and represent their needs in terms of health yeah, I agree. The, we, I mean, we need doctors to have the freedom to, you know, practice their medical practices and use the different resources that they need to cure patients. Uh, and, you know, not just this uh, open the book and this is what you do. We, we moved through COVID. We've seen the medical system. Uh, a lot of good doctors be, you know, removed or constrained because they ask questions and, you know, to to achieve any goal, you got to ask questions, and that's how you move the ball forward in an honest way, of course. But yeah, I mean, the, you know, what you were talking about, Mark, is absolutely true when you're talking about the MAIDS program in Canada, right? The medical assisted in, assistance in dying it, it is a system that is really quite scary to open up to humanity because that really means you know if you're not sustainable to what at what bar are, are we going to let these oligarchs choose if you're not you know self-sustainable or if you're not say you know if you're not beneficial to the system i mean at what point you know when you're encouraging people out of life too hard for you well i'd say i mean you should probably you know, turn them to get some psychiatric help or something like that to make you feel better about yourself. But, but, you know, we don't even promote that. It's just go right to this. And you know, that's really horrible. Uh, sorry. I just want to jump in and, and add another element to this. So when we talk about, you know, who's funding the world health organization, um, when Trump was in power, of course, he reduced that funding. Bill Gates became the number one funder of that organization. So now you you literally have one person who's the, the number one funder of that organization now calling the shots and dictating to us our healthcare needs and, and what's a priority and what isn't. You have one guy who's who's gonna dictate that. Um, that's not a healthcare system that I want any part of. And I don't think most Canadians would want any part of a system that is funded by an individual. And, and so, of course, things have changed a little bit since Biden government took over. They started funding the World Health Organization again. So the United States is probably the number one funder again. But Bill Gates and his foundation are, are, are still up there and still have an inordinate amount of power. And this is where, again, you, you, you get into this you know, global governance and 
corporate partnerships, essentially fascism. And when you listen to Bill Gates speak, you, you, you can hear that he's, he's very much authoritarian and totalitarian and, and, and will remove rights if allowed to do so, uh, you know, if our governments allow that. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, in Canada, say, you know, and obviously this is this is the discussion we need to have in this country. We should be in charge of our own outcomes. We should be in charge of our own um, health care and the needs within our health care um, within this country. This is what sovereignty is all about. But so for for a very long time, we've abdicated our sovereignty to an unelected, unaccountable foreign entity that that actually has does not have any um, uh, of our best interests at heart as far as the people of Canada. Their, their scope is global, so all of their decisions are global and has nothing to do with the best interests of the Canadian people. So it's, it, it flies in the face of everything that Canadians cherish. Um, and, and so I just find it to be absolutely uh, ridiculous. Yeah, you're exactly right, Mark. Uh, this whole one size, one everything fits all one approach doesn't work for Canadian populations. We have a demographic that's largely aging. We have a lot of baby mm. in there. And uh, let's not forget that uh, healthcare is our biggest expense for tax dollars. And when we look at euthanasia and the made uh, health care, if you want to call it that, I call it death care. Yep. Veterans seeking medical help or mental help are being offered made, not once, yes. not twice, but three times during their visit. Mm. Uh, and mm. this is what our tax dollars are funding. It just goes against everything we've, what this country was built on. And... Mm need to go back to a system of health care and choice. Uh, do you want uh, certain services? Are you willing to pay for them, whether it's private or public? We do mm. need to have some choice in that. Currently, we don't. We have to leave the country if we want choices for some of our medical treatments. Uh, when mm. Germany, United States, or Mexico, Canadians are going there to receive services, and you can get on a list fairly quickly with the right dollars and cents in your pocket. And the other Absolutely. thing I kind of want to address here is Section 3.5, strengthen prevention and treatment of substance abuse, including narcotic abuse and harmful use of alcohol. Well, this again, it speaks to uh, a good thing is, yes, we all want that. But what we're seeing provincially here is alcohol is already highly regulated. And now if you go into Manitoba Liquor Mart, you will have to scan your ID and you will either be accessed uh, permission to get go into the premises or not and this is uh just unacceptable wow. when you are wow. of legal drinking age you should be able to go in an establishment without having to have your identification scanned you know like where does this come from we are the testing ground for a lot of this un agenda stuff this, this is not not the canada that our soldiers went to war to fight for and defend and the well yeah it's horrible yeah, it is. And uh, the other thing is section 3.8 is vaccines for all. We've had vaccines for access for all for decades already. What is the significance of this and why is it being pushed? 
And I can only think of this two-tier society that the pandemic exposed, or a pandemic, if you will, where mm. 80% of the population who complied with uh, the vaccine requirements were able to dine in restaurants, were able to go to movie theaters. The 20% that elected to kind of go on a wait-and-see program uh, for an untested drug, they were immediately removed from participating in society. And they were... Mm forced to uh, have meals to go. You couldn't order it. Well, you had to order everything uh, ahead of time, have it brought to your car, including Walmart Christmas shopping. Uh, you have to go to your locker and access the gifts that you'd ordered online. Uh, we saw this in 2021. Manitoba was probably one of the most extreme of the provinces, but you could not go and buy a toy off of the shelf because everything had been quarantined and cordoned off. It, it just is mind-boggling. So, yeah, I think another thing that we should discuss too is is our healthcare system is seems to be um, shilling for big pharma. Big pharma has an inordinate amount of of power and sway um, within our healthcare system, and that that comes again from the World Health Organization. They're all you know in this together. Um, and 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 it's it's seeping in to our system here where you know now you have doctors that are are simply towing the line of big pharma rather than critically thinking and 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 understanding each and every patient as an individual and treating that individual um for their specific needs and, and, and whatever it is, conditions that they have. You have this blanket where it's, it's everything is defaulted to big pharma. We're just going to write a prescription for that rather than, rather than treating the root cause of, of your symptoms. We're just going to do what big pharma tells us to do. They're essentially doctors have turned into salesmen for big pharma rather than treating you know the root cause of the problems that their patients are having and and and, and treatment and healthcare has has all suffered because of that association to big pharma and and, and essentially shilling for me so that has to be mentioned in all of this as well yeah absolutely you're right because again it's no longer the doctors being able to uh, choose an off-label prescription or like anything mm. off-label uh, and prescribing that to their client or patient and saying, here, you know what, this cheap generic drug is going to fix whatever ails you and go with it. Mm. But instead, you have big pharma with vested interest saying, oh, no, you need to get this person on this and this drug uh, and expense it, whether it's through uh, health benefits or you know employee benefits. Uh, through a private health care or whatever subscription they have. It begs the question again is who is telling who what to do? Doctors and nurses are not able to practice the way they did uh, five no. years. Uh, big Pharma has uh, stepped over bounds and uh, it's very concerning to say the least. It, particularly when we have all this massive expense, we have huge debt in our country. And we should be able to use the cheap, generic label drug to fix our problems. But instead, we have to have brand name, under-licensed drugs, which have patents on them, that are coming in at 100 times the price. 
it's and, and and so one of and, and so one of the byproducts to this situation is people's faith in the system people's faith faith in in the in the healthcare system in in their doctors in healthcare staff uh, it has really waned in the last number of years because of all of this and and I've talked to numerous people that you know, absolutely refuse to go to their general practitioner, their their MD, <clears throat> and and have gone alternatively to you know a naturopath or 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 some other alternative medicine, um, and and we're seeing that in droves because people just don't have faith in the system, and that's because it's a system that's being run by the World Health Organization that has no idea what our needs are in terms of healthcare. And, and I mean, we're not even getting into the whole discussion around First Nations and, and, and their healthcare needs and, and how badly they're treated and how badly they don't fit into this, this global system. Uh, I mean, there's, there's so many things that, that healthcare um, you know, covers that, I mean, we could be here for a long, very long time talking about, you know, the health of Canadians and, and what we need to do. Well, exactly. And you will also recognize that some of our Aboriginal populations have unique needs uh, based on their genetic profile. Uh, and again, this one mm. size does not fit all. And what about exactly. giving our First Nations expired vaccine doses? Like there's that whole conversation. Yeah. How is that allowable that First Nations are getting expired doses when you know, that would go against everybody's uh, wishes. Once it's expired, then it's done. We have major issues here and uh, we need to call it out for what it is. Mark, I'd like to ask you something. Um, one of the, or gentlemen in general here for our listeners, this agenda was signed on to in, in 2015. Is that correct? September 27th, 2015, a month before the election of Justin Trudeau, signed on by the Conservative Party, Stephen Harper. Correct. So the sustainable development goal references and focus on the years mm. since the announcement of the pandemic in March of 2020. Mm. Everything that is outlined in, in the description of this sustainable development goal, it seems as though the, the goalposts have moved on a lot of the SDGs that we will be covering and have covered already um, as mm. these crises uh, seem to uh, you know, come upon us. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> so our, our own prime minister in uh, September of 2021 um, was speaking to the UN. And in that speech, in his words, he said they're using COVID-19 to achieve the goals of sustainable development. And those are the words that came directly out of our prime minister's mouth. At that time, it made him one of the most powerful conspiracy theorists in the country because we'd been warning about, you know, them doing this for decades and referred to and labeled as conspiracy theorists. So, uh, and then his deputy prime minister, uh, you know, finance minister, Christian Freeland echoed the same sentiments saying that in fact, yes, they're using COVID-19 as a mechanism to achieve the goals of sustainable development. So they're telling us this. Not only that, but you have Klaus Schwab who, you know, writes his book, uh, COVID-19 and the Great Reset, somehow they're fully connected. And what's interesting is in, the, in, the, in June of 2019, you saw them formally 
develop this partnership between the World Economic Forum and the UN. Again, the, the World Economic Forum being a support mechanism for the overall agenda. But they've always been associated since the creation of the World Economic Forum in 71. They've always been there to support this agenda. And so uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's kind of interesting to watch how this all plays out. But at the end of the day, um, they've told us that they've used COVID-19, this pandemic. And I call it a pandemic because there's enough evidence for us to say um, confidently that this virus, this COVID-19, was manufactured in a lab in Wuhan. And um, there was a spike prone at a spike protein added to, you know, um, the, the cold and flu virus to make it a little bit more transmissionable, transmissible and a little bit more deadly as it, as you know, statistics will show uh, affects our older elderly people. Um, and, and so then of course, from that, they needed to develop this MRNA jab, this experiment that they experimented on billions of people with. So all of it's tied together and all of the, the fallout, all of the, byproducts of this quote-unquote pandemic where we had lockdowns, we had businesses shut down and destroyed, livelihoods destroyed, jobs destroyed, um, and, and created this, you know, this um, discriminatory society and, and all the things that are associated with, with lockdowns and and the trampling of our rights and freedoms and all these things. It was, it's a social engineering and conditioning mechanism. That's exactly what it was used for. And we know this, they created it and then they released it onto the population around the world through the military games um, in late 2019. And, and so, you know, and then they run, then they run a, a desktop exercise called event 201 preparing all governments around the world for what's coming in this pandemic. Uh, and it was all scripted. And then, uh, you know, a couple of months into the pandemic, Klaus Schwab already has his book written and is distributing it to all Western politicians. Here's the script. Make sure you follow it. Um, and, and we'll be fine. And so that's, this whole thing has been orchestrated. The whole thing has been coordinated and it's all about, again, this achieving the goals of sustainable development and creating a situation where people who, and they've said it themselves that in, in places like Canada, the United States, they would have never been able to convince the masses to give up the rights and freedoms that they gladly gave up in this scenario. And it's all about social engineering and conditioning the masses to accept this for what's yet to come. And, and they're, they're far from finished. So um, that's, that's what that, I mean, that's the, that's the big picture. That's the, you know, that's what we're dealing with. Yeah. And exactly. I think some of the smaller picture things where you talk about social engineering and creating new norms, we only need to look at what the pandemic kind of exposed here. We had mm -hmm. half of the entrance and exits closed at major retailers. So at a superstore or Walmart, a supercenter, 
normally you would have two great big entrances and exits. Well, now everything was forced into one. Everybody was to go single line, go queue up on the sidewalk, go through uh, you know gates, your checkouts. Now everything had directional arrows on there. And mm. this is all in the under the statement of we don't want uh, transmission. Well, we all know that viruses can hover in closed spaces. So all we're doing is forcing everybody into a closed space rather than spreading it out, changing the HVAC system and removing the viruses because that's how we get rid of them, you know, in a farm setting. If, if we have mm. a dairy barn that we've got a situation we need to control, well, we just turn on the exhaust fans and we move the air through there like nobody's business. And we can put this virus outside of the, the, the environment that the dairy cattle are in. Here in the grocery stores and supermarkets and whatever you not, we did the exact opposite, or they did. And again, conditioning, right. stand in lines, we're being subjected to potential viruses, whether they were or weren't present, we're not going to argue that. But it goes completely against what common sense would tell you to do. But this is, again, conditioning people to line up. Yes, you have to have your barcode scanned. You have to scan your iPhone to go into the restaurant and enjoy your meal or have your ID scanned at the liquor mart just to come in. While mm. you've got 10 people in the line at minus 40 weather, that's what we had here a month ago, and I see people outside the liquor mart stacked out and they're waiting to get in. By the time you actually mm. get into the store, you realize there's only 10 people in the store but you have more people outside <laughs> in the queue. Like how ironic is that? And it's just mind boggling, but it is conditioning people to accept yes. this is the tyranny. You have to wait in line to get a six pack of beer or a bottle of wine or even communion wine, if that's your thing. So, or toilet paper. Toilet paper, let's not forget that. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, so it's interesting how all of a sudden, you know, our distribution uh, we we don't know how to deliver anything anymore. Our airports are an absolute nightmare. We 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 don't know how to run an airport anymore, right? All of these things somehow we forgot. Somehow we just lost track of how to how to run all these things. Out of the blue, it all just happens. Um, it's all by design. It's all orchestrated. Again, it's all about conditioning. And toilet paper. When the thing first started, everyone's hair was on fire about toilet paper uh, it's killing free market capitalism once again right yes is it is it's making this that this one you know one brush system and 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 i realize that in lower developed countries you know they don't have you know as good a health care systems but they basically to have the good health care systems i'd say that here us in the west and canada and united states and canada is questionable in my opinion but to have that good healthcare system, you have to have somewhat of that free market going on where people develop yeah. new technologies and so on and so forth. And there's the money that is not only there that is provided, but also there's the desire to go get it and develop, you know, you know, better things by basically making a one class system. We know how that works out. That means it's like, well, we got the least on the, on the pile and we got the highest on the pile. So we pick the middle. Well, that's not actually going to do any good for moving us forward, right? Well, and, and that raises an interesting point. When you look at the overall agenda and who voted for it and who's in favor of it, um, of course, you know, most of the nations throughout the Western world 
their governments just decided on behalf of the people that they're going to commit to this without informing the people. Now, on the other side of the, the scale, so you have the UN that's made up of 195 countries. 135 of those countries live under a present dictatorship or some despot or some form of communism. Um, and, and naturally, they don't have a functioning healthcare system. So they're more than happy to sign on to agenda that they're promised they're going to be delivered, you know, much better services in terms of health. At whose expense? At the rest of the, the nation throughout Western civilization, at our expense. And again, this goes back to the redistribution of wealth. We're supposed to give up what we're expected and what we've paid into for decades. We're, we're supposed to give that up so other nations can then benefit from our demise. This is why so many countries agreed to sign on to this agenda. And the rest of the Western civilized world, the, the first world, signed on to it out of virtue signaling, out of, you know, because everybody else is doing it, we better do it too. And, and, and so, you know, there it is. This is why we're suffering. This is why our healthcare is, is swirling the bowl. Uh, it's all about redistribution of wealth. It's all about destroying the first world, creating, a, uh, making us equal to the rest of the planet, second and third world. And, and this is where we're headed. We can see it as clear as day. And it's all about destroying Western civilization in the first world and, and, and making us all equal, poor, and, and dependent on some global governance model. Yeah, that's back to, you know, SDG number one about, uh, you know, yeah. no poverty. You know, I mean, their goal in there, we didn't read it, but I encourage our guests that we'll, we'll be providing links, of course, to all the SDGs. And when you read the, the you know, the bullet points of it, it's like, mm. and not one in particular, it was a dollar twenty-five a day. So what does that actually mean? So does that mean a dollar twenty-five a day? That means that us Western nations who have that making twenty dollars an hour, we gotta subsidize the other countries that are only giving a dollar twenty-five yes. a day. I mean, what is yes. that? I mean, right. so it's, like, I mean, it's bringing everybody to poverty is what it's really doing, and they know it. Yes, hundred percent, and that's what they want because when people are poor and desperate, they're much easier to control. I just wanted to shake things up here a little bit uh, on uh, one of the targets that is outlined in uh, this health sustainable development goal. And uh, it's, it's 3.7. And for our listeners uh, in reference, if, if you go to the website un.org, this is where we're getting the information. It's right on their website. Uh, mm. and, and, and target 3.7 states by 2030, ensure and universal access to sexual and reproductive health care services, including for family planning, <laughs> information and education, and the integration of reproductive health into national strategies and programs. That's the target, 3.7. So on the surface, and mm. speaking of the poor countries, you know, one could interpret that you know, this might be something that would be, uh, you know, a, a feasible and, and logical plan for the, the, the poor countries. But as you know, we've certainly been seeing a lot of um, gender ideology trending in, in, in Western 
uh, in, in, in the West here and in the past few years. And we're seeing some very controversial concepts being discussed and introduced to children, which are confusing them about their sexuality and therefore in our systems are seeking, uh, you know, these, these mutilation programs uh, that are, that are uh, you know, devastating to, to these children under 18 years old. Is this something that's di- directly related to, uh, you know, to this uh, particular sustainable development goal? Yeah, 100% it is. And again, this leads into population reduction. So when you when you put in SOGI, for example, um, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, SOGI, S-O-G-I, you, you put that into the school system, as they have in British Columbia and other places, other jurisdictions, and you, you start to create confusion within the children that they don't know what they are. Um, are they... Are they you know, trans, are they gay? Are they, you know, all of this confusion at a time when kids really don't need added confusion to their lives. Um, and, and so if you can create that and this question in, in the children, then they're going to grow up most likely not, uh, you know, participating in traditional family values or the nuclear family or reproducing or procreating however you want to phrase it, um, they're most likely going to identify as, you know, trans or, or, you know, bisexual or homosexual or, or what, or what have you. This is a concerted effort. Now, of course, you're, you're encouraging children um, to, to desecrate their bodies and, and to remove parts because they, feel like they're they might be a girl because they're being groomed by teachers because they're being groomed by the system that's confusing these children and it's again it's all by design and it leads into this population reduction they want people to have less children they don't want people buying into the nuclear family traditional family values they want people not to be procreating this is all this is all part of that and and it's of course attached to healthcare because you have a healthcare system that's actively encouraging kids to remove body parts uh, you know and and so it it all leads again back to this this pinnacle of the agenda which is you know population reduction and depopulation so uh it, it's all connected all of it. and you also have the connection of uh easy and open access to abortion uh, yes 100 percent, hands down and and i'm going to jump ahead here just for two seconds but target number five three where gender equality talks about female genital genital mutilation they want to eliminate yep. that this is again it's a it's a direct contradiction to what the narrative is. So again, mm. word salad, a good play on words. It sounds nice, but once you unpeel some of the layers, uh, there's some really ugly things that reveal their head and um, mm. we'll dig into that. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. So Kelsey, there's, there's a video that you might want to incorporate into this uh, that I have posted on my Twitter. It's, it's uh, pinned to my Twitter account. Uh, of Dennis Meadows, and and he really speaks. Again, he's one of the architects of this agenda, sustainable development agenda. Uh, he wrote the book Limits to Growth, which is the foundational piece supporting the development of the agenda. And he he does a really good job in two minutes of clearly 
identifying what their goal is in terms of population reduction. He wants to reduce and believes, and, and most of the people that are surrounded by him believe that they need to reduce the Earth's population from 7 billion to 1 billion. And, you know, these are all mechanisms in, in achieving that. And this is one of the overall goals of, of, the, of the agenda uh, in its totality. Yeah, great, Mark. Um, we'll be sure to do that. And for our listeners, Mark's uh, Twitter handle is Grizz Mark Friesen. So that's G-R-I-Z Mark Friesen. And that's his uh, Twitter handle. And you'll be able to find that there. And we'll certainly incorporate that into, uh, into these documents and the information for our listeners. That's a wrap, folks. You've been listening to an Acres of Truth special edition podcast series. We would like to thank you so much for joining us in this journey. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with others on your social media platforms. Be sure to check out our website, acresoftruth.com, for more information on other podcasts and where you can find them. Additionally, feel free to send your questions or comments to info at acresoftruth.com. Thanks again for listening. Are you searching for that voice of reason in these troubled times? Do some things just not make sense? We thought so too, and that's exactly how Dave, Richard, and I came together. My name is Kelsey, and the three of us are here to explore and seek the truth, expose corruption, and unravel and untwist media lies and propaganda. We are determined to help navigate through this unparalleled, extraordinary time in history with everyday people emphasizing open-mindedness, free thinking, and a desire to be empowered at the grassroots level, working with what nature has given us and protecting that from those who are exploiting it. Together, with the help of our listeners, we will sow acres of truth. You can visit our website at acresoftruth.com, and here you will find more information on how you can find us in places like YouTube, Rumble, Spotify and Apple Music, Twitter, and so much more. Hello, and welcome to our series outlining, explaining, and discussing the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Our goal is to educate everyday citizens about SDGs, what they are, what they mean, how the laws and policies that are and have been passed can and will affect us. Additionally, by learning and understanding these 17 goals, we can all become one step closer in helping to affect change in this world from a grassroots perspective. My name is Kelsey from Saskatoon, and I'm joined by Dave, Richard, and our special guest, Mark, director and founder of the Forum for Canadian Sovereignty. Welcome to SDGs and what you need to know. Greetings, gentlemen. Greetings, Kelsey. It's uh, Dave from Winnipeg, Ag Specialist. Greetings, Kelsey. My name is Richard, and I'm a farmer from southern Saskatchewan. Hi, Kelsey, Dave, and Richard. It's Mark here from Saskatoon director and founder of the Forum for Canadian Sovereignty. Welcome, gentlemen, and I'm Kelsey. I'm a small business owner in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. The format of this series is for us to read the SDG, discuss the targets, and break it down for everyday people to understand. Let's get started with Sustainable Development Goal number four. 
Quality Education Providing quality education for all is fundamental to creating a peaceful and prosperous world. Education gives people the knowledge and skills they need to stay healthy, get jobs, and foster tolerance. The COVID-19 outbreak, however, has caused a global education crisis. Most education systems in the world have been severely affected by education disruptions and have faced unprecedented challenges. School closures brought on the pandemic have had devastating consequences for children's learning and well-being. It is estimated that 147 million children missed more than half of their in-class instruction over the past two years. This generation of children could lose a combined total of $17 trillion in lifetime earnings in present value. School closures have affected girls, children from disadvantaged backgrounds, those living in rural areas, children with disabilities, and children from ethnic minorities more than their peers. I'd like to turn the mic over to Mark at this time to begin our discussion. Yeah, so, uh, you know, here we go again. Uh, Hyper-centralization of our education system so they can control from, again, an unelected, unaccountable foreign entity developing curriculum, developing indoctrination centers um, from a global perspective so that all children around the world are all indoctrinated with the same, you know, indoctrination <laughs> and the same curriculum. And, and <clears throat> our children are our future. And what we teach them has to be up to the parents. Again, it, it, it's this lowest common denominator, this radical decentralization that will best serve our children and what they're learning in school rather than a global hyper-centralized, um, you know, dictatorial curriculum that's set for, for everybody so everybody's a robot, everybody's programmed. And, and, and speaking of robots and programmed, and uh, we also have the, the, the transhumanism element that's going to, you know, work its way into our education system. And, and I, I mean, there's so many things that, that, uh, you know, we have to be, and, and people need to be made abreast of and, and understand what's coming. But at the end of the day, it, it has to be developed the parents have to take a leadership role in what curriculum is being taught to their children while their children are at government-run schools. And another thing that we're seeing because of this is a lot of parents are pulling their kids out of school and homeschooling them and creating, you know, private schooling centers or, you know, education centers that, that you know, they have, the parents then have direct control of the curriculum and what's being taught to their kids. And so, you know, these, these globalists are taking advantage of, you know, governments throughout the Western world that are ceding sovereignty to this entity, especially in terms of our education. And, and teacher unions are completely on board with this because, of course, unions 
are always friends with communists and and uh, so they they always fall in and, and so they're using this as a mechanism to indoctrinate our youth and our our children um so they become good c- compliant complacent uh little slaves ultimately yeah and i think slaves they will become because when you look yes. at uh, our children, some of our brightest students uh, are not able to excel because the curriculum has been dumbed down to pass everybody through. Everybody yeah. passing grade. Everybody gets a purple ribbon for to participating. But the bright minds are not able to excel. They're not being pushed hard enough because we're too busy focusing on the majority. And I think we need to focus on pushing all kids through. I don't care whether what spectrum you are, whether you're on the special needs spectrum or you're just an average student. Square pegs but this, not put into round yes. holes. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And but this is this is what communism does: is it 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 dumbs everything down. Everything gets brought down to the lowest common denominator. That whoever's struggles the most in school, we have to change everything to accommodate that person instead of celebrating excellence and promoting excellence and and gifted students uh you know giving them you know what they require what they need no it's all about the lowest common denominator let's let's just you know we'll feed that and we'll 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 develop curriculum that that uh, caters to those people um and the rest of us suffer and and the rest of society suffers because when you have these kids that graduate from high school or graduate university they're so fully indoctrinated they're so fully entitled they're so they're so uneducated and dumbed down because of our system catering to again that that lowest common denominator there is no excellence there is no you know achievement there is there's no celebration of 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 excellence and it's uh it's extremely detrimental to society as a whole yeah and our university students are graduating with more debt loads than we ever have historically this is Mm. you know it'll take them the next 10 years to repay back their student loans uh the the costs are just astronomical and to your point about the parents here this is uh a very valid point, and I really want parents to get involved, to be empowered to do so, but they're being stonewalled. When they attend the parent meetings, they are given a microphone for two minutes, and then they get shut down, and that is not right. Uh, a lot of parents aren't public speakers. They aren't very good at vocalizing their concerns, and two minutes just is not enough. They give them you know, about a minute for introductions, and then you need to hit all your targets in the yeah. next minute, it's impossible. And when you are given, you know, most parent uh, meetings, you have four to five a year in a school semester and the parents are not being given a voice. It's uh, it's very shocking that the unions, that this, the principals are allowing this to happen in their schools. And in mm-hmm. fact, they're, they're the ones shutting it down because many of the principals are sitting on these boards as well. And the uh, parents back in on it. Yes, and and it's a system that's it's a system that's been created to to exclude the parent. It's by design because um, you know when you exclude the parent, it it becomes this blob, right? And 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 run by you know by the boards, and and this is why I stress 
it's incredibly important that that we as citizens and residents of particular provinces re-engage and take back our responsibility that we've abdicated to organizations, we've abdicated to politicians for decades, thinking they had our best interests at heart, when in fact they've only used that we've abdicated our responsibility to them to then institute things that we're, we're seeing. And so parents, citizens need to re-engage and take back their responsibility. Um, it's incredibly important. And, and uh, you know, I think a lot of people have been conditioned to not get involved and they see the education system as daycare for their kids. So both parents can go and work and, and pay the bills. And this is the, this is the broader discussion around the economy. We, we, we live in this economy now where you can't survive on single income like you used to be able to. And, and one of the parents maybe stay home and raise the kids and be there for the kids when they come home from school and, 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 you know, question the teachers and, and question the school and, and, and be involved in parent-teacher interviews and associations and all these things. There's just not enough time in a parent's life to do that, it seems, because of the economic system we're in where both parents are working, both parents are exhausted when they get home from work, and, and they're lucky, you know, there's food on the table for the kids when they get home from school. Lots of challenges. You have extracurricular as well. So that whether that's one night a week per child, let's say you have a household that's got two or three children in there, perhaps four, yep. you're committed to doing that event. And that often means a commute as well. Uh, so if your son or daughter is in hockey that requires a 25, 30-minute commute, this yep. is going to be challenging. The other thing is on Section 4.2, the target there is to pre-primary education and you talked about abdicating responsibility this is exactly what it does it forces young children basically they're still breastfeeding then they are already being shipped off to daycare and pre-primary education centers again to conform to this this mold that they perceive as being best for our children and i can't see anybody knowing what's best for my child other than myself in my in my home environment uh, this is our responsibility as parents, and we need to take that very seriously. It, it's actually kind of dehumanizing a population to make the oppression real. And, and, and what I mean about that is basically, you know, each individual, regardless of potential, has always been encouraged when I went to school to do their best. And if the, whatever that best is has different levels on our marks of classes and stuff but by dehumanizing us basically is they're trying to make that one brush you know statement again and 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 the open by people feeling oppressed right so those the, the strivers in sports that do really good they strive mm-hmm. to get a medal they try to get that as you know uh to do the best they can well, somebody like myself that wasn't great at sports, I didn't play them, but I did a little bit in rec and stuff like that, and I didn't really care about the goal at the end. But that doesn't mean that I felt bad because I wasn't good at a sport or good at something. That means my talents are somewhere else. But nowadays, they have that to basically take that away, and they're doing it, and it's dehumanizing a population because why, if you're good at something, why should you strive to be better? 
for what reason they're taking that ability away from human beings and that's what i mean by dehumanizing and i think about the university and section 4.3 where they want affordable uh, universities for all students or all people which is admirable but when you look at our universities and our post-secondary education sectors they are extremely top heavy with administration it's incredible how top heavy they are uh, because the pandemic, again, exposed what we can do as teachers and professors online. With minimal equipment and a webcam, we could be teaching classrooms of two, three hundred, five hundred students at any given time. And all as they needed at their end was an internet connection and basically a smartphone. Mm -hmm. So right. for us to have these great big buildings, these uh, huge facilities, all these nice things, they are nice and I'll give them that, but it costs money to run these organizations. And again, it's tax dollars that pay for it uh, way above and beyond the tuition costs. And our tuition costs are going up every year, three and a half percent last year. It is becoming unattainable for a lot of average students. And when you're you know, like a med student, you're saddled with $180,000 debt. How are you going to repay that? How can you have a home? How can you start a family? Uh, how can you live? Uh, you need some serious revenue to pay that off. And these med students are going in on 15 and 17 years before they are debt free, uh, just from their student debt. And it, it's just you know, the universities are taking advantage of this and so is every other post-secondary uh, education. That's a common theme throughout, you know, all bureaucracies and education's no different is this is this top heavy, you know, where where you, you have all these middle managers and all these these uh, people in management positions. Um, uh, you know, it, it should be about the teachers. It should be about the professors. It should be about the people that are on the front line speaking with the kids, whether it's education or healthcare or or anything to do with government. It's it's always top heavy. It's always, uh, you know, the system taking advantage of the taxpayer. Uh, it's always like that, and and that's and and, and now we're moving into something that's even a, a larger bureaucracy you know, on a global scale, um, it's just, we're, we're, we're headed in the absolute wrong direction. Again, it has to be, you know, with education, it has to be the parents dictating to the schools, to the teachers, what you're going to teach my children, what I want my children to be taught because I'm the one paying taxes here. And it, we have to take back that responsibility and hold our governments accountable, you know, that are, are controlling um, these education institutions and, and, and being steamrolled by unions. We, we need strength. We need courage. We need conviction. We need, a, we need governments that are going to represent the best interests of the people and, and the individual rather than the collective. Well, and we're being steamrolled into worthless diplomas and degrees. We have students that are graduating four-year yeah. programs, five-year programs from gender studies. There is no hmm. career in gender studies beyond one or two, let's say, that work for the liberal government or, hmm. you know, are doing some gender equality study for the next right. airport design or something like that. 
but yeah, we are creating uh, an, a, like a, a good chunk of our generation that with post-secondary education cannot hold down a mediocre part-time job. They're struggling mm -hmm. to pay their bills. But does it not, Dave? I mean, it brings it into two classes, which they themselves, two classes of people, which they themselves have defined in the targets. Uh, you know, it says basically 4.3 by 2020, 2030, sorry, ensure equal access for all women and men to affordable and quality technical, vocational, and technical education, including university. Hmm, isn't that interesting? But yeah. then you go read 4.5 and it says eliminate gender disparities in education to ensure equal access of levels of education for vocational training and for the vulnerable, including persons with disabilities, indigenous people, and children with vulnerable situations. Well, isn't that interesting that they've already thrown the indigenous peoples in with basically, uh, you know, the same people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. I mean, that isn't fair by their own two rules, 4.3 and 4.5. They've already did made it almost, a, a, you know, a distinction of class of how they want to separate people as a whole, which is mm -hmm. somewhat racist, what they use nowadays, is it not? Well, you're exactly right, because they are discriminating based on gender. And so there's a lot of fields and a lot of careers that are particularly suited to one gender, whether it's a male or female, we have, uh, you know, look at nursing. It's predominantly um, women that are in that field. Men are not typically interested in that field. And you look at agriculture that is shifting now a little bit, but that was typically a 70, 30 split. We're narrowing on 50, 50 now, but you go to mining, you look at some trades, plumbers, uh, that is primarily de dominated by one industry or like by one gender. Same with welders. How many female welder welders do you see on the pipelines? I haven't seen any. So, are you suggesting there's only two genders? Are you, are uh -oh. you a bigot? Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mark, you know me. Um, yeah. What a, there's, there's a there's cow worm in soup. And uh, well, okay. So let's look at biology. In right. 50 years or 100 years or maybe 1,000 years, when somebody, an archaeologist, is going to come and excavate my body, perhaps Kelsey's body or yours, and we're going to look at the bone structure, and we are going to come up with two genders because right. just because you chose that's science. That's science. We can not go your feelings. Not my feelings. Nope. Go dig up mm. King Tut and tell me what gender he's at. Mm. Or she's at. You decide. <laughs> you had to throw that in there. Oh, you know I would. <laughs> <laughs> well, you but guys... that's what they're doing, and this is this is how they this is how they indoctrinate, you know, a culture. This is how they they change culture is through education, through our school system, mm -hmm. and and through our children. And this is how they've managed to be so successful at what they've done over decades. Yeah. And it's through our education system because parents have abdicated that responsibility to other people. Yeah. And we need to take back that control. We need to take control of our schools and we need to dictate to the teachers what they're going to teach little Johnny and little Susie. One last point here um, on the homeschooling and the trend we saw in Manitoba. We saw yep. a lot of families opt for homeschooling, but this last cycle... I would say all, if not more, of the students that signed up for homeschooling 
were now back in public school. And this isn't mm. by accident. The families were squeezed. They were pushed uh, yeah. financially. And uh, they were burdened with a job that they were never, um, that they didn't grow into. Suddenly, they've got two, three, four children at home, and they had to figure out a whole new schedule. In most cases, the 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 woman of the family stayed at home and, uh, you know, went on on a leave from her job, or in some mm. cases, kept her job and was working from at home, trying to educate students. And so that failed miserably for a lot of families. Not everybody's cut out to sure. to uh, educate their children. But that's not to say that we need to neglect our public schools by letting them go for a free-for-all and we just take out our kids and homeschool them. We mm. need to uphold our educators and our education system to a much higher standard and not let them get away with what they're getting with now with this uh, gender ideology 100%. and all this other nonsense yep. that's coming through the way. Because our kids need to be educated. They do not need to be confused. Right. Confusion. Mm. If you're of mature age and you decide you want to change whatever you are, have at it. Those children are of age to make that decision based on quality knowledge. Because I'm seeing the reverse now. We've, we've seen uh, people that have transitioned, in some cases shaved off body parts. And now they're 30 and 40 years old. They've had this experiment in their pocket for 10, 20 years. Well, not mm. 20, 10 plus years of the individual that I'm thinking of. And they would like to revert back. And they're completely well, regretting it. Yeah, they are regretting it. But they you, become, you can't undo it. You can't undo it. And they become so dependent on the drugs and all yep. these uh, hormone inhibitors. Yep. Now it is difficult, if not impossible, to undo. And... Mm. It's coming at the expense of everyday citizens because, again, this falls under sure. healthcare. Uh, why are we paying for gender reassignment one day only to remove it the next day and bottlenecking our healthcare system uh, with this nonsense for people that didn't know what they were getting themselves involved in? When you're looking at the education system, you know, which we should hold in the highest regard to make sure the standards are kept. But at some point, I kind of question, because although I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but I've seen different articles, I think out of Ontario, that, uh, you know, students that want to call themselves a cat, so they're installing a litter box. And it's That's like, so at what point do the educators say, I think we have a mental problem here. Maybe this student needs a little bit of psychiatric evaluation. And, but no, you promote that instead because anybody can feel good to do whatever they want. And, 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 and that to me is a, a mental problem. And that's the really, I think, of what a lot of these, uh, because of what we're seeing, a lot of problems in the world is this mental issue that is promoting craziness. So I don't know. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, you know, Richard, it reminds me uh, of years ago when I was in school, and perhaps they're still doing it today, is a spirit week. So for one week, you could dress up whatever costume you wanted to be. Whether you wanted to be a Superman, Wonder Woman, you wanted to be Catwoman, you wanted to be whoever, that was the week to do it. And when the week was done, that was done. And next week, we're back in school doing things. 
you guys know I like to shake things up a little bit, and and I know we've exhausted this subject, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the education system and the indoctrination that's happening in it, uh, both um, you know for for our, for our youth and uh, our our post secondary education. One of the things that came to my attention quite unexpectedly uh, back in oh circa two thousand thirteen fourteen. Uh, actually, it was more probably more like fifteen. I guess leading up to the election of, of Justin Trudeau, um, my daughter and and as a single mom and and parent, uh, we're a, a very busy family. I have two athletes in my family, uh, so not only did they have their school extracurricular activities, they had, you know, their their outside clubs and and whatnot that they were participating in. And not to mention, I was working full time managing uh, another business at the time. So you know, it can be very easy for things to fly over our heads when we're busy and and we're you know grinding away and and whatever. And, and I will always, you know, encourage parents uh, and, and those of uh, the parents that are, are listening to this right now, I, I couldn't more strongly encourage more than ever now to ensure you're having conversations with your children and you're keeping the lines of communication open. My daughter came home from school one day and asked me this. She said, Mom, why are the teachers pushing Justin Trudeau down our throat? And that was the day that everything stopped for me. I, I I had no idea. I had no idea that, and, and she went on to tell me everything that was going on, what they had been doing for weeks, that the focus in school for weeks was the election and that all they spoke about was how important it would be to vote for Justin Trudeau, that they would have a mock election and that they should vote for Justin Trudeau in this mock election. I went into the school and I had a discussion with both the vice principal and the principal at the time asking questions. And so this was around the time when mm. I became um, a lot more aware of uh, what exactly was going on in our schools and how uh, the government is playing a role in influencing our youth. Now, this is something that's extremely insulting to my intelligence as a mother, first and foremost, and also someone who de deeply cares about the education of our youth. Uh, so I, I guess I'd just like to hear your guys' comments uh, on this and, and why our education systems are, are uh, so heavily um, involved in, in all of this uh, influence and, and indoctrination. Well, it's no secret that um, the Liberal parties the NDP, uh, all the parties on the left, uh, traditionally, um, cater to unions and cater to teachers' unions. And so um, their, their natural delivery uh, to, the, to the children, to their students, is to promote the parties or the government that's going to be most beneficial to their career and to their... To their uh, bank accounts. And, and so, I mean, I've experienced this for, for a very long time. Most of my adult life, I've, I've seen that, that corruption within government, government services, education, healthcare, you name it. it it's all run by unions and, and the corruption between unions and government is rampant. And, um, uh, this is why unions play such a large role in this agenda. And this is why they need the unions to be on board to help promote this agenda. 
and and rest assured they are um because again it's all about the collective right it's not about the individual it's about the collective and and so um it's it's sort of a natural happenstance that you have unions that pander um, to liberals or NDP or whoever the government is of the day in each province, and uh, and then rail against you know the quote unquote conservative, even though there's really the establishment conservative is is so far to the left because they've all agreed to this agenda and and naturally are are dragged to the left by this agenda which is you know the communist manifesto on steroids so it is what it is and 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 so um again it has to fall back on the parents the parents have to be involved the parents have to re-engage the parents have to take back their responsibility and start dictating to these teachers and teachers unions what they're going to teach their children and, and uh, keep politics out of it. You're not there to promote your party or promote, you know, your, your career. And so Mark, I'm going to throw this at you here uh, because the, the climate change thing, and I know that's a topic we're going to hit on, but we have yep. a, a situation at a post-secondary uh, uh, institution right now where the, the theme of the day is if we do not continue to vote liberal, we will not get the grants that are needed to do climate change studies. And it's very important that we do this. So if you are voting for anybody other than liberal, you are potentially jeopardizing what we may or we may not find because with the liberals, you're guaranteed uh, this money that's coming. It's kind of like the pot at the end of the rainbow. Absolutely. And so this is coming, and I know we're talking lots about grade school, but this is coming from a post-secondary level where professors mm. are concerned about grants and who the government of the day is. Uh, and that's very concerning because we all know that uh, these instructors play a pivotal role in our children's lives uh, and to what, yes. what they believe or don't believe. And um, it, it's a very slippery slope. And we need to be well, no, hundred percent. But the whole grant program is political, right? Um, I mean, all of these grants that are issued by whatever the government of the day is, uh, you know, if it's the SAS party or if it's the NDP or whatever, UCP or NDP in Alberta, um, the grant program is politics. It's ensuring that different groups are going to make sure based on the grants we're giving you that you support our government when it comes time for an election and make sure that your people are supporting us in the next election. And, and so it's all, it all boils down to politics. And, and wow. this is why, you know, I, I, I put up a, a tweet earlier today. I was talking about corruption and, and the people allowing the corruption to manifest and, and to, you know, exacerbate itself only because we don't want to take the time to hold these people accountable. And that in turn makes us corrupt as a people, as a society, we're corrupt. If we're not holding these people to account and we're not feeding into this corruption and, and, uh, and, and pay off, you know, pay to play all this, all this stuff. And you see that fallout in the big pharma as well. 
uh, as yeah. we and crop science, like when we look at um, yes. uh, whether it's the Bayer's, BASF's, and I'm not singling anyone out, I don't exempt any of them, but when they're paying to do a study or a research program, they want the data that showcases their product as being the best. And I can't help but wonder how often those results get skewed because mm -hmm. the, the person who's doing the trial knows who is paying the bill for that trial. And if the results don't match right. up, uh, are they going to get a second kick? I don't mm -hmm. think so. Uh, the money yeah, the following year uh, may or may not be available. And I think that's a huge risk many of these people are not willing to take. And and that's yep. it begs the question, you know, because provincially and uh, the federal government alike, we used to do a lot of our own research. But now we have mm. subletted everything, including the people, to big pharma and big corporations. And it's a revolving yep. door. Uh, one day they're working for the government. The next day they're working for big pharma. And mm. the month after that or the year after that, they're back working for the government. So it's a continuous cycle where we are not being given the data that we, uh, I think, legitimately mm. deserve as a country because it's, right. it's, it's all skewed in one direction and that's the direction of mm. who's got the, the biggest money. Which, which I don't really understand. Even, you know, instructors themselves, they must feel, uh, especially, you know, the older instructors, they must feel that this is a really attack on their profession because, you know, the standards of their teaching has actually, you're watching it be eroded. I, you know, I think I, we should ask some instructors that question because that's what they're doing by upholding all these things. Is is So here's what I see, Richard. I think these instructors are retiring uh, because A, they're making good money. And uh, so they're retiring and just cashing out because they're sick and tired of going against the grain for being alienated yep. from their peers. Uh, yeah. They are not going to stick it out. And they've, you know, they put money aside. They have good pensions. They have everything going for them and they're just cashing out. And we saw that, you know, with today's announcement. And again, I won't get too political on this, but we had 10 of our 36 party members uh, is basically tender the resignation at the end of their term, they will not be running for re-election. That's a mm. big chunk. And they're all saying, yes, it's retirement. And, and granted, uh, if people can retire, have at it. That's your own decision. But I just find that uh, when the screws are tightening so much, people are just checking out. And we saw that with our health yes. our nurses. Their pension was ripe, the time was right, and they were not going to put up with the nonsense. Uh, thanks, I've done my 20 years, 30 years, whatever their term was, and uh, it's time for me to um, to cash in and let no. somebody else run it and run it into the ground as I see it. Does that answer your question, Kelsey? <laughs> yes, thank you, guys. Um, I think we're good, and, and we can probably start to wrap this one up. That's a wrap, folks. You've been listening to an Acres of Truth special edition podcast series. We would like to thank you so much for joining us in this journey. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with others on your social media platforms. Be sure to check out our website, acresoftruth.com, for more information on other podcasts and where you can find them. Additionally, feel free to send your questions or comments to info at acresoftruth.com. Thanks again for listening. Hey everyone, Kimberly Guilfoyle here and welcome to my Rumble channel.